please open your Bibles and join me as we read from 2 Peter 3. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Turn to Second Peter. We're going to work our way through the third chapter today and finish this book. Before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious and merciful God, Please meet with us here. I ask that your very presence would be here as you have been ushered in and invited through prayer, song, our own confession. Now we've read your word. And I just ask as we step through your word here that you would use it to encourage us, grow us, convict us. I just pray ultimately you would shape us for your glory. We ask for your help now in Christ's name. Amen. Well, 
We're going to start off and look at chapter 2, just real brief. We galloped over chapter 2 last, last week, right? We kind of went through it. It was a long passage, but I couldn't find a way to break it up. So we covered it all. We did cover it in rapid fashion, but embedded in last week's passage, there were several applications and lessons. There were three characteristics that were expanded on in detail about false prophets. Rebelliousness or their unwillingness to be placed under authority, sensuality, and greed. We also saw that the Lord will preserve the godly in the midst of their trials. Noah and Lot were examples. And he will punish the ungodly on the day of judgment. We saw that example from the angels, the flood, and Sodom and Gomorrah. Our Lord in the Gospels used the example of Noah and Lot as warnings against indifference with which people were living in regards to God before the judgment came. We have a stark warning for all of us as individuals and as leaders in our homes when Jesus tells us to remember Lot's wife. The application I drew out was for us to watch our worldliness. If you go and study in Genesis, you see the progression of Lot from being outside the city to in the city to then taking a position of leadership within the city and then when it was time where he had to leave hearts were knitted to the world so the command or or the the warning there is not to we want to be we have to influence the world so it's not i'm not challenging us to not take leadership roles or to not influence the world what i'm challenging us is to make sure that our hearts don't get knitted to it we have to be careful with that We saw a lot of details about the characteristics of the false prophets in verse 10 through 22. But two of them were bold and willful, self-willed, arrogant, were words all used by four different English translations. So I have an application for us. Dangers exist any time our will begins to grow in stature and confidence, unchecked by God's will through his word. I'm going to say that again. Danger exists any time we allow our will to grow in stature and confidence when it is unchecked by God's will through His Word. I was going to go read James chapter 4, 13 through 15, but Andrew just read it. We're not to ask what our will is, what I'm going to go do, but we're to ask, what is God's will? These long list of traits are not always exemplified at all times in all ways by false prophets. Sometimes it's hard to see them. But we do know that they're still going on today. The prosperity gospel, progressive Christianity are examples. The idea that God somehow promises a worldly prosperity for all believers is just not scriptural. And progressive Christianity is a complete untethering of the accountability to God's Word by seeing it some sort of evolving text or not even applicable. The tragic result from all of this, of all of this, is that many can, are, and will continue to be led astray. This week, Peter instructs us directly in living in the hope of Christ's return. Isn't it amazing that here we are? providentially 
I don't believe it's by any accident that we're studying the hope of Christ's return in such a week as this. I put in your outline there, there's two big sections. The certainty of Christ's return in the first ten verses. And then living in anticipation, how we are to be found in 11 through 18. I'm going to read uh, something that I found from John MacArthur. I thought it was excellently written. Throughout Christian history, the hope and certainty and the promise that Jesus Christ is coming back has formed the crux of Christian expectation. It is the church's blessed hope, her utmost longing, and the great climax of salvation history, a time of redemption for believers, and a time of judgment for God's enemies. It also marks the inauguration of Christ's earthly kingdom, during which the saints will reign with Him in holiness. The hope of the bodily resurrection, spiritual reward, and a righteous world system are all tied to Jesus' return. The readers of this epistle had already endured persecution from outside the church, and now they were experiencing internal turmoil from false teachers. They longed for the return of their Savior. There are three ways we live in anticipation, or there are three ways to live in the hope of Christ's return. The first one of those is with anticipation, a spiritual eagerness and zeal, an enthusiasm. The second way would be with apathy or complacency. When we begin to forget about the second coming and taking our eyes off the eternal, most of the time our eyes settle on the temporal. And so sometimes we can grow a little apathetic or a little focused on the here instead of on the someday. And then the third way to live is in denial. A denial that it will happen. So three ways. Either in anticipation with zeal and eagerness, in complacency, or in denial. Where would we place ourselves on this scale? Peter now talks about this being his second letter. There's four different arguments given in the commentaries. I'm not going to waste a lot of time on it, but... It could have been this letter broken up into two. It could have been Jude as another letter. Or it could have been a lost letter. Most commentators align that it is 1 Peter is the, is the first letter and 2 Peter is the second letter. But there are people who do disagree with that. For our purposes, we will operate like the, the majority here. All of the commentators that I found and trust most all align on that. The word beloved, this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. If you look in the word and you see here, that word beloved also shows up in verse 8. It shows up in verse 14. And it also shows up in verse 17. That's clearly a theme. Peter is addressing the beloved. In both of them, he says, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember Remember back in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12 through 15, it says, Therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder. If you turn further back just a little bit to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 through 16, Peter says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action, and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. So both letters have this idea of stirring up, that idea of, of preparing your minds, that, uh, that, that uh, you know, desert dress is more of a flowing dress, right? It's uh, like long uh, flowing robes. And, and, and it's belted. That idea of preparing your mind means to gird up, to like gather up your skirts, okay? To like get that out of your way so that you could be active and ready. Preparing your minds for action. So let's define sincere mind. Another translation that also equals wholesome thinking. That which is pure, right, and good. The English word comes from sincera, without wax. In the days of old, sometimes potters would fill in subtle cracks with wax and you couldn't see it until you put it up to the sun. So the concept here is having a sun-judged mind. Something that's not covered up, but something that's truly pure. Something that's been exposed to, to the, the truth of God's Word. And that we're truly trying to get rid of all impurity and live true right before God. Peter also wants the people to be stirred up to remember the holy prophets as opposed to the false ones that we studied last week. And he also speaks of the, uh, the apostles. So I'm going to read some passages here. Isaiah 66 says, For behold, the Lord will come in fire, and his chariots like the whirlwind, to render his anger and fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire will the Lord enter into judgment, and by his sword with all flesh, and those slain by the Lord will be many." Malachi 4, 1 through 3 says, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. The apostles are referred to here, the New Testament apostles. 23 of the 27 books in the New Testament explicitly refer to the Lord's return. In the 260 chapters in the New Testament, there are about 300 instances in which Christ's apostles make reference to his second coming. It's that prevalent. Matthew 16, 27. For the Son of Man is going to come with His angels in the glory of His Father, and then He will repay each person according to what He has done. Matthew 25, 31. Then He will say to those on His left, Depart from Me, you cursed, in the eternal fire prepared for the devil and His angels. Jesus said to him, You have said so, but I tell you from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Luke 12, 40. You must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So the first argument for the second coming... Peter just made. He appealed to Scripture. The holy prophets and the apostles. Now we have a section in here where people argue against Christ's return. It says, knowing first of all that scoffers will come in the last days, scoffing, following their own sinful desires, they will say, where is the promise of this coming, of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing. Knowing first of all, knowing this first of all, it's not chronological. It's not a chronological placement. It's priority. As a first priority, no, mockers will come. Scoffers will come in the days between Christ's first and second return. That will happen. It does happen. Have you ever experienced that? 
These people ridicule and try to plant doubt and paint hope-filled Christians as silly or uninformed. Jesus warned throughout Matthew and Paul warned in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. Peter here is also saying that it's accompanied by following their own sinful desires. So think about this. If you can deny Jesus Christ is coming back and there's no coming judgment, what does that give you license for? To pursue your own sinful desires. So if they can deny the coming, then it gives them license to live in the way they want to live. This mocking also takes the form of of, uh, saying that God doesn't intervene in creation. There's this big word I put in here, uniformitarianism. It's the idea that the cosmos and everything is just built on history and that God doesn't intervene in a divine way. I don't plan to get into all of that in a massive technical way, but that's what they're saying. So if you look at that in 2 Peter, we have to deal with it. If we're faithful to the text, it says, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. But then he answers it and rebuttals it in verse 5 by saying, for they deliberately overlooked the fact. So now Peter's appealing again to the historical record all the way back to Genesis that they're overlooking the fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. So the transition there is from the mockers saying, hey, look, you know, there's no evidence here that God exists. And then Peter appeals, yes, there is. And then he talks about creation. He directly addresses the idea that God does not intervene by pointing to those historical facts. God does intervene. And he will intervene. It says that he will come. By the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire. So the same word that executed creation is the same word with which God will usher in the second coming of Jesus Christ. That was the promise we read earlier in Isaiah and Malachi. Also in 2 Thessalonians it says, Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in Matthew, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear fruit fruit is cut down. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Peter now focuses on God's timing. Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Basically, God's timing is, and his perspective is not our timing. As finite people, creatures bound in time and space, as God has made us, we sometimes try to explain and bind God into operating according to our timing. What seems like a long time to us is not a long time to him. Therefore, the fact that he hasn't come yet should not shake our confidence that he will come. The next argument for is an appeal to God's character. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. 
patient. That word patient is a compound word, two things, large and great anger. God has a vast capacity for storing anger and wrath before it spills over into judgment. Verse 9 says, but the phrase, as some count slowness, if you look back in there. I think what Peter's doing is he's creating a tension here that the very arguments that the scoffers are making that God's not going to return because it's taking a long time to return is actually God being patient towards the scoffer, giving them an opportunity to repent. We need to have some careful reading of Scripture here because many people take the you here to mean salvation for all people. So let's read it together carefully. You've got to start in verse 7. It says, But by the same word the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved. You see the transition there? There was the warning about the destruction of the ungodly, but then he turns the phrase again back, do not overlook this one fact, beloved. So he's now speaking to the beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness, but is patient toward you. That's still the beloved. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Now, those who perish are those who refuse God's offer of salvation in Christ and ultimately suffer damnation in hell. But scripture clearly teaches that God hates sin. And it's also clearly taught that the Father takes no delight in the death of the lost. God offers salvation to all. Yet Scripture also teaches that God has elected some unto salvation. It is impossible for us to know the deepest things of God. But it is possible for us to obey with the truth and revelation that we have. God has told us to go to proclaim Jesus and Him crucified and to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's not for us to decide who will or who will not believe. It is our job to make sure all hear. It is our job to make sure that Christ is exalted, that Christ is proclaimed, and that people are given an opportunity to understand that there is a coming judgment. We're to tell others about Jesus Christ. It should be something ever-present on our lips and ever-present on our lives and ever-present on our mind. It's how we should live. People that interact with Christ's Redeemer Church members should never question whether we are sold out for Jesus Christ. Are we doing enough? It starts with each of us individually. Don't wait for a church program or some special thing. Let it start with each of us, our neighbors. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done it will be exposed. When God comes, it will be unexpected and without warning. It says it will be a rushing sound or a loud noise. It's like the most basic elements, like atomic components, are going to be destroyed. You ever heard the term, had a real come apart? Anyone ever felt like you had a real come apart? This is a real come apart. When we're stretching the molecules all apart and we're 
tearing this all apart and it's going to be destroyed. But before we get into that further, I want to ask a question. Is there anyone in here who knows for certain you are not in Christ and that you are storing up for yourselves a future wrath? God's patience is on display for you. What holds you back? Even one sin can keep us from the Father, but the sacrifice of one man, our Lord Jesus Christ, is sufficient to cover all your sin, whether one or 10,000. Would you repent and believe today? Turn to Christ and plead forgiveness. Seek Him while He may be found. Is there anyone in here who's uncertain of your position in Christ? I also appeal, beware of a false assurance and seek peace. Find someone near you after the service. If you're in either one of these categories, grab the nearest person after the service and talk to them about these things. Now, we're going to transition into the how-to portion of the scripture. I have no idea where I'm at on time. I'm just going with it. So <clears throat> it says, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, it's a transition. What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? That's actually not a question. It's a statement. In the original, it says, how astonishingly excellent you ought to be. That's, that's, a, that's a challenge for us. We should be living with an external perspective, knowing our true home is not here on this earth, but one day in heaven, knowing with absolute certainty that we will one day stand before Christ, so we should be walking in a manner worthy, Ephesians 4.1. We should be walking in holy conduct apart from the world and toward God. The lives here is present, which means qualities are to be constantly present. And now it says we should know our true home living with an eternal perspective, waiting and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Waiting for and hastening or looking for, eager, expectant, watchful, hastening it by living godly lives, praying earnestly and witnessing to bring others to repentance to Jesus Christ. Here we see new heavens and a new earth. New means quality, different or unlike anything we've previously known. New in character, a realm where righteousness dwells. It means to settle down and be at home, a permanently comfortable residence. You ever been away on vacation? Been on a long vacation or on a long business trip? After a while, it starts off fun, doesn't it? And then, you know, after this hotel and this unpacking and doing this, at some point in the vacation, do you ever just, you ready to be home? Is anyone ever just ready to be home? Just get back to the comfort of my home, your place of peace and familiarity? Believe me. The feeling we have here in our earthly homes will be so surpassed by the peace that we have in our heavenly home. 
It says, therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot, without spot or blemish. Spotless and blameless are speaking to the kind of people we really are. As opposed to the false prophets that were spoke of in the previous chapter, those who were reveling in the daytime with blots and blemishes. We are to live with the highest integrity and levels of holiness. Obviously, we're not perfect, but we should strive for a blameless reputation and character. And we should be at peace. This peace starts with saving faith and finding peace with God. But here, Peter also addressed his readers as beloved, which implies they would already be believers. It might also refer to the true peace of mind that is accompanied by a confident faith in the Lord. It's a kind of peace that banishes. It banishes earthly worries, cosmic fears. It's a peace knowing for certain that one's sins are forgiven. But I also think there's a second aspect to peace. Walking in agreement with God. It's a different kind of peace. You see... I think it closely follows the lifestyle implications that were mentioned in the previous verse. Living holy and spotless and blameless lives results in peace with God. There is a salvation component to finding peace, to laying our, laying our arms down and, and surrendering to the Lord. But there's also great peace found in walking in agreement with God. This is what comes to my mind, right? It's, the, it's a believer's security, his calmness or her calmness in God is related to the walk not fighting his ways, not stretching for gain or greed, taming the world and its lusts brings peace. It's also directly related to our walk and our relationships here as believers, peace among us, living openly and honestly in all things. I thought about when I was a young believer or before I became a believer, when I was going through that phase, there was a period of time when I I walked inconsistent with my parents' wishes. The best description I could have on what I'm trying to get across here is I know what my mom and dad wanted for me and then I knew what I was doing outside the presence of my mom and dad. And so when I was in the presence of my mom and dad, I was hoping that that part of me wouldn't get found out. But that part of me that I didn't want found out in front of my mom and dad, I actually wanted to take it out and exalt it around the other people that I was with because that was a form of, uh, you know, acceptance and a form of looking good among my peers over there, that sinful lifestyle. And so in one respect, I was over there trying to take this out and do that and then keep it hidden. That's not walking in agreement. That's walking in conflict. So in our lives, if we have these areas where we want to be in agreement with God, but then other areas that we want to manage ourselves and not surrender to the Lord... That's what I'm talking about. Ultimately, finding peace where you turn your life over to the Lord. Paul is spoken of here. And and, then Peter talks about, well, I'm sorry, I missed a section. And it says, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation. I'm just going to read 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 20 here. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespass against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. 
Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We should be found proclaiming. If the Lord returns, not only should we be found without spot or blemish and at peace, we should be found proclaiming, asking and imploring people to be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. If Christ returned this afternoon, would he find that your neighbors had been introduced to Jesus? Your family? Now we talk about Paul. Peter speaks of Paul, referred to as referred to him as his writings as scriptures so that's a pretty solid reference but Paul or Peter warns here that some people are twisting some of the harder things for Paul to understand and then using it to create instability because he's saying you know take care that you're not carried away by the error of lawless people and lose your own stability This happens today. People distort scriptures for their own gain. It happens. People do it. They use scriptures in a way that creates instability, uncertainty. We're also to be found growing, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord, advancing and increasing in the understanding of God's grace to experience the Christian life and all the aspects of it, whether it's hard or whether it's easy. And the only thing I know for certain is I've been walking with the Lord since I was in my early 20s and there's seasons of easy and there's seasons of hard. But we cling to the Lord Jesus Christ in both. And lastly, it says, to Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. We are to be found praising him when he returns. Colossians 3, 1 to 4 says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Clearly, this whole passage of Scripture has a, has a forward-looking. It has, a, it has a, a look for us to focus on the coming, focus on the return of our Lord, and to live confidently that He will come. So what are our applications to close? First and foremost, first question, are you prepared for Christ's return? Have you repented of your sins and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on that cross, trusting in his work alone? If not, I just draw your attention. We do not know the day or the hour. I simply appeal, seek him while he may be found. Do not delay. Are you living expectantly for his return? And then I want to draw our attention to this last, this verse, verse 14. Look back with me in verse 14. Be diligent to be found by him without splatter blemish and at peace. 
I'm trying to figure out what's an application I can give here. So I'll do my best. Parents, there's a lot of parents in here that have little kids. And there's a lot of people in here that are my age that had little kids. So it's, I was thinking about, I'm actually going to use, I was at a couple's house this week and for dinner, and I'll, I'm going to use this as a set of context. The kids are upstairs playing, you hear the feet, right? Normal feet. And uh, as a parent, you learn to kind of know what's normal, don't you? And then you hear, and we were having dinner in the father's eyes immediately. I knew what was going on. Just exactly, even though I don't have little kids, that was an abnormally large thump. Someone took a jump off of something. So you're waiting. Are there more jumps? No? Okay. Back to normal. All right. So everything's okay. Didn't hear a scream. No one came out with blood. It's okay. Now, the example I would give is Terry and I, you would get used to the kids and the noise and what you would expect is activity. And so hearing activity wasn't as big of a concern for us as hearing what? Silence. So when you hear silence, now you know. Uh Uh-oh. Did they find the markers? The crayons? What has enthralled them? So you go looking to check, right? Any parent with that cares about how much the cost of repair is going to be, uh, we'll go check pretty quick. And they're gonna, you're going to find your kids in one of two ways. Sometimes you will find them enthralled in doing something very wholesome. And you're like, this is amazing. And sometimes you're going to find them with a lot of stuff on the wall and markers and or whatever they're doing. And you know what I'm talking about when you see their face and they know the difference between being found doing what's right in mom and dad's eyes and when they know they're being found doing something that's not okay in mom and dad's eyes. Whether we are young whether we are old. When the Lord Jesus Christ returns, we want to be found doing what's right in his eyes. We want to be found in him. All of us are not perfect. As a matter of fact, No one in this room is perfect. But we have a Savior that we can trust in and hope in and cling to and look forward to His return when all things will be made new and we will be forever at peace in His very presence. That's the importance of anticipating, living in the hope of Christ's return. Let's pray.
Great God, we come before you, we thank you. Lord, I just ask that if there are any of us in here that do not know you, I pray that you would break through today. And I pray that there would no longer be delay. And I pray that you would encourage conversations among the families, the children, and among each other. I pray that we would be a people striving for holiness and honor to you. Lord, we know you, we need you desperately. We're coming to the time in our service now where we're going to come to your table. Lord, I pray that you would prepare our hearts. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen.